I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woohoo! Big woohoo! Yes. A sad woohoo, but a big woohoo. Why is it sad? Because we are dedicating this episode to our dearly beloved Paul Rubens. That's true. Duh, Sheena, we just discussed this. <laughs> R.A.P. Yes, Pee Wee Herman forever. And and what was his name on Buffy? I've already for- I just watched the movie. And I'm Lori knows. Like, Lori knows. Uh, no, I don't. I, it's because it was something. It was. It was so. It's a weird name. All it right. is weird. Which we're I gonna give it a goog. It. Give it a goog. But he has the most iconic death scene in any movie ever throughout the history of cinema. If you've never seen the original Buffy the Vampire, Amelin. That's yeah, it. Okay. There you go. I don't know that they even say it that much. They don't say his name. I don't Not remember often. them saying it at all. So um, I was like, that's his name. He's just leather jacket dude to me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He kills a lot of people. Did Very you see the Alamo's um commemorative yes. post for him? It was so yes. cute. I was like, it God was. bless. I yes. love that. So yeah, it's appropriate that we are shouting out to him and we're doing our comedians episode or yes. vice versa, yes. whatever. Um so yeah. And that was not planned. Like no. we had planned to do comedians, but we had planned that. You know, we always pick the next one when we're doing the current one. And so we're like, comedians. And then Paul Rubens and Sinead O'Connor. I hope things are going well for you beyond the veil, my dear. Amen. Yes. This world was way too damn mean to her. Mm-hmm. Makes me sad. Yep. Um, but to lots of news. Up, yeah, lots yeah. of news. Lots Here. of fun news, I guess. Um, if you listen to our bonus episode that came out, I think in April. Uh, yeah. You heard our interview with our friend Stacy, who makes amazing Oracle decks and her deck that is based on cemetery symbolism. The deck is called Roses, Dust and Ashes is here. It arrived. I'm shaking the deck. That's why you can hear it. Um, it is here. It is in a beautiful uh, coffin shaped box. And the cards are absolutely stunning. Um, as soon as I got it in, I, I did film a little video about it and posted it on my TikTok. But um, it's, I mean, the artwork is just as stunning as I imagined it would be. Of course it is because it's Stacy. Um, and I like a lot of the cards too because they are very similar, if not, I mean, pretty well the actual stone from Elmwood Cemetery, which is everyone's favorite cemetery of memphis tennessee um absolutely and that's how i met stacy was through elmwood um i mean just some beautiful cards i mean that right there is a yeah. like that looks <gasps> like jasper smith's lion, i love that you know that's in front of his tombstone right at the beginning of elmwood and it's um it says i guard the memory of jasper smith which i don't remember now what episode we covered him in but i covered him in some episode and was it unsolved something it might have been unsolved or it might have been tennessee i can't really yeah. remember anyway um yeah there are several and this one is one that i love at elmwood and i know this is particularly it's the safe journey oh, card cute um, and it looks like a seashell um anyway so yeah it's amazing it's out now you can go to her etsy to buy your own copy you can google roses dust and ashes and get your own copy if you love cemetery symbolism and if you're listening to this podcast surely you love cemetery symbolism right? obviously hopefully um 
And then a few more shout outs. Um, I went to get a massage the other day. It was one of the best massages I've ever had. Um, it was at a place in Hernando called Spa Around the Corner. The lady that owns it, her name is Robin. She, we, we got to talking about true crime somehow. It always comes up. <laughs> it does. And then there at the end, and I told her, I was like, well, too, she saw my tattoos and, and some of them are, are very spook related. Um, and she was like, so she she brought it up and I was like, oh, I have a podcast. Burr, burr, burr. So I told her all about it. And then she gave us a shout out on her Facebook page. It was so cool. But also um, at the end, she was wrapping up. Like I got this mini facial and it was like toward the very end. And she's like, you know, it's interesting how we put so much trust into massage therapist because you know you're in a dark room with them and you know you're just <laughs> like lady this is not the time to bring this up <laughs> and then she starts putting her hands around my neck like she's gonna <laughs> choke me i was like i know i only met you an hour and a half ago this is not terrifying at all so it was really funny anyway so shout out to her if you want a great massage and you're in north mississippi i highly recommend spa around the corner in her name and a shout out to uh, a girl I do not know. I don't know you at all, but your name is Neely and you work with my cousin Shelby. Uh-huh. <laughs> Last night I had supper with Shelby and she was like, oh, I was watching one of your TikToks. And one of my coworkers was like, oh, that's Sheena's. I mean, she didn't say Sheena. She's like, that's so once was I because that's my TikTok account. And Shelby was like, yes. And she's like, I listened to her podcast too. And Shelby was like, that's my cousin. And I'm like, how? small world anyway she Absolutely. works at the hospital in Tupelo so hello Neely I don't know you but Shelby knows you and thank you for nice listening things. yeah it's so weird I, I I told Shelby I'm like I didn't think anybody in Tupelo listened <laughs> I didn't yeah. think yeah but apparently they do so sorry about the times I've talked smack on Tupelo Hope we will care. continue to talk I probably Tupelo. will <laughs> sorry Tupelo there's sometimes and, um, I don't like you but right and our dear friend Vesper was like sharing yes. our stuff this week. I was so excited. And my other dear friend, Aaron, and his wife, yes. Jen. Jen is my other mother. Um, <laughs> she is my my Gen X icon. And they have a pa- podcast called All Kings Considered, um, which is about <laughs> Stephen King books. I'm going to have to so, listen to that because I love yeah. and Stephen King. Jen actually has published a book of her own. Let me look it up real quick. Dang. Living well, the awesome. Dream. All these accomplished people. I know. I know. And here I am just being me. That's okay. We love you. Yes, it is called Building 51. It is on Kendall. Um, and you can also buy the physical copy. Please do support yeah. my girl. She is amazing. And um, her and Aaron were actually ma- married by Elvis in Vegas. Oh, oh that was my dream, <laughs> man. I went, you know, hindsight 2020. Right. We did have a fair, you know, it wasn't massive. We did it at a hotel where we could do everything at the one and it's kind of a right. dump, dumpy place now. But I don't regret it because it was great. I got to see all my family. Yeah. But if I had it to do over again, I would have stuck with my initial plan to go to Vegas and elope and have an Elvis impersonator marry us and then just get that money from mom and dad because they did offer to give us money or pay for a wedding. And 
Right. You could have used it as a down payment. Yeah, well, they did. They, you know, they did help a little. We we took money out of the wedding budget to help buy the house. But uh, no, like I don't because I got beautiful pictures. All yeah. my family was there. Yeah. You know, Sheena, you, you were able to come. I was so there. It was, it was a very nice and I enjoyed it. It was a party because that's what I wanted. I wanted yeah. people to eat. I wanted people to be able to drink and not have to pay for it. And I wanted people to have fun and I wanted pictures and I got all that. And it, it was great. But was. again, if I, like, if, if I live again, you know, renew your reincarnation, yes. Vegas, Elvis impersonator. Cause I've been saying that since I was a small wee child that I wanted to get married by an Elvis impersonator. I love when is it. 10 year. Uh, oh shit. I think it's next year. <laughs> oh yeah. 2024. Okay. April, 2024. <laughs> Well, we were just Start talking planning about a Vegas now. trip. We were. Now, yes. for my 40th, Adam, I'm doing Vegas. For the 40th, but this is going to be a girl's trip. So Adam's going to have to come separately. Yes. And then like, <laughs> we will go do your little vows. And then he has to go back home. Leave. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be a girl's trip, just, but he yeah. has to. Yeah. yeah. The girls yeah. are vacationing. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, we are. The aunties. Of, exactly. Uh, known to Bonnie, Sheena, and Hannah. Too. I love oh, it. <laughs> and she gets really mad at me. Why do you keep asking me what their names are? It's just so cute how you say it, Bonnie. Anyway, she's love cute. It. Um, I think the only other shout out we have is um, is not a shout out. She's more shameless self promotion, more product placement. Pete, come on, Sheena. Sheena. Oh, stop it. Um, take my tours. Woo. Yes, take um, the tours. Tip generously. Yes, leave please. good reviews. Leave good reviews dang it please for for my soul okay it hurt it hurt it hurts my soul when i get a bad one and i know they're fake news i hate to use that term but <laughs> i was like look everyone else enjoyed that tour except you i can't help that right um, look she anyway, is out there busting her ass in this in the heat you a good experience she tells you everything to expect up front she considers your health if, yes. if there's a necessary thing so and look if, people memphis is memphis it gonna be hot it's, it's august gonna be hot. Yeah. also please wear bug spray yes um yes. you are yeah. near the river folks i know it, oh, shout out healthy. to the one who wanted you to go down more dark alleys yeah <laughs> homie <laughs> where do you think this is that was not one of <laughs> a review for me it was just one of those backbeat right tours that someone wrote a review years ago to backbeat tours and was like hey on your ghost tour you need to go down more dark alleys and i'm like no we don't <laughs> You're trying to do you die want to do you want to survive <laughs> then we're not going to sweetheart yeah. um, this is a sheboygan <laughs> you will die and yeah and 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 two i'm being overly peppy on my tours because quite frankly my mother died two months ago and i'm right. trying my best to put on a happy face for people and not bum them out by being like well i'm really sad like yes i'm trying to be happy and if i rem if i forget a detail and i'm a bad storyteller then forgive me it's grief brain anyway yes i am the monday night tour guide for backbeat tours <laughs> for ghost tours um i'm sure and i do them occasionally on other nights of the week it just depends on 
other people's availability and all that kind of good stuff. But I'm almost always your Monday night tour guide. Um, you can book online through Backbeat Tours. Um, but, and those others are fun. I love those. But if you want to go to Elmwood Cemetery, which is my favorite place to be, I'm giving tours this October and into November. I'm giving my True Crimes of Bygone Times tour um october 7th and october 28th i'm giving scandals and scoundrels tour on october 27th and then i'm giving my writers tour the plot thickens on november 4th so join me hang out with me there you can tip me there too um, absolutely i don't know that anyone's ever written a trip advisor review about one of those tours i don't really care as much i'm more concerned about the batbeat tour reviews i would really like a nice one from people that would make my my heart happy anyway we are discussing is that everything i have that's everything i yep, have I y'all so. have anything else i'm no good man. all right this week we are doing comedians Woo-hoo! get ready to giggle amen Luhu, i think you're kicking us yes. off. yes so my story today has it all the early years of hollywood yes sex yes. intrigue comedy yes. cocaine all oh hell things. yeah <laughs> let's do it a little bit of murder yeah my very favorite yes so you know the joking aside the person at the heart of my story today is an absolute legend of early filmmaking and honestly should be her name that is mentioned when you discuss comedy in the silent film era instead of charlie chaplin but mm-hmm. we're gonna get to yeah we're gonna get to that in a bit so Mabel Normand was born Amabel Ethel Reed Normand. That's a cute name. Oh, I like name. it. On it's got my- all of the old lady names. Yeah, in there. I know. <laughs> Getting them all in there. So she was born on November 9th, 1892 in Staten Island, New York, to lower middle class parents, Claude and Mary Normand. So obviously coming from a working class family, to work hard to earn her keep and at age 14 she became an artist model Aww. she was considered a natural beauty with great comedic timing and her friends convinced her to try her her luck at acting and so she got her start in 1909 earning 25 dollars a week by 1911 she moved to biograph studios and starred in what was considered her breakthrough performance the awakening a dramatic short directed by D.W. Griffith. Yes, the same D.W. Griffith. Responsible for the racist pile of garbage that was Birth of a Nation. Oh, God. Griffith wasn't big on comedy. He rarely used Mabel outside of background roles. He did enjoy racism. <laughs> I know. Yes. I was going to say, I'm shocked by that. He found her outgoing personality inappropriate. According to her estate's website, quote, On and off screen, Griffith preferred the dainty types, while Mabel liked to play pranks, drink, swear, and party with the boys. Yeah, she did. Good for her. You know, if the guy who made Birth of a Nation doesn't like you, that raises you in my esteem. It really does, actually. Yes. So around this time, she was introduced to Mac Sennett, a director and comedian who would partner with her both in her professional and personal life. Ooh. In 1912, they moved to California, where Mac opened Keystone Studios with Mabel as his muse. Oh, You see, Mabel had something that the other silent film queens of the time didn't, raw potential. Most silent film stars had begun their career on stage, and they played to the camera. 
According to a 2018 article in The Guardian, quote, ingenues at the time had a tendency to big-eyed stiffness and the weight of their stage legacy was substantial. Norman, by contrast, had an on-screen looseness that still feels strikingly modern. Hmm. Ooh, very cool. She, she didn't. Feel that any- is such an interesting thing of like when you're looking at like the evolution from like stage, then you have the silence, and then mm-hmm. you had like the talkies. Like Clara Barton never made the leap from the talkies because she had this insane Brooklyn accent. Yeah, that she just couldn't get rid of. You know, it's so crazy how that's such a different skill set. Yeah, one hundred percent. So all of her education came while she was making these movies. She just had this raw, unfiltered talent. Love it. She achieved a number of firsts, including being the first star to break the fourth wall, a move that became her trademark. Ooh, I love it. She is the actress who first appeared tied to train tracks in the 1913 (laughs) film Race for Your Life. Nice. That is such a classic. Love it. She is the OG. She originated that. That's awesome. She and frequent co-star Fatty Arbuckle are created with the creation of the pie in the face gag. (laughs) In their 1913 film, A Noise from the Deep, she became the first on-screen recipient of the pie to the face. (laughs) Oh my God, I love it. I would love to be known as that in history. And the the inventor of the pie to the face. face. (laughs) Yes. I mean, because that, I mean, you do it at birthdays. Like, it's you a go standard. To the yeah. That's what they do to you. Yeah. Um, and she was also one of the first females to direct, produce, and write. Oh, cool. I and love it. Also, being the first to have her name grace the title of a production company. Awesome. <gasps> go, Mabel. Again, more on that in a minute. So, while these are all amazing, what she is most often remembered for is being the mentor to one of the original kings of comedy, Charlie Chaplin. The story varies depending on the source, but the basic gist is that Mac brought Mabel, Fatty Arbuckle, and Minta Dufree to give opinions on a new comedian he was thinking of signing. Mabel saw the talent and convinced him to sign the young actor, a man named Charlie Chaplin. Mac wasn't really impressed with his early performances and would later say, quote, He couldn't understand what was going on, why everything went so fast, and why scenes were shot out of chronology. Oh, bless him. So, yeah, if it wasn't for Mabel, who knows? Charlie Chaplin may never have gotten his big, big break in Hollywood. Even though she was a few years younger than Chaplin, Mabel still had four years on him in the industry, which is like a lifetime in and of itself. And so she took him under her wing. They starred in a string of silent comedies together, and the introduction of Chaplin's wildly popular Tramp character appeared first in the 1914 film Mabel's Strange Predicament. That was also (laughs) directed by Mabel. Good Hmm. for her. Chaplin wasn't too keen on sharing credit, especially with a woman, but she would direct or co-direct several of his early films. Again, even though he wanted sole credit. Mm -hmm. Like a man. Yep. <laughs> Although Mabel would say, like, they spent time developing that character of the tramp, Chaplin would say he wasn't sure where the idea of the character came from. Mm-hmm. However, according to film historian Raymond Lee, Chaplin owns Mabel, quote, his greatest debt. 
A study of her films made before Chaplin came to this country shows entire routines, gestures, reactions, expressions that were later a part of Chaplin's characteristics. Well, isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Although it is said that they did butt heads, which, of course, what do you expect? A strong-willed, strong woman. Uh, They did remain friends throughout the rest of uh, Mabel's life. After a year with Keystone, Chaplin moved to a rival studio earning $1,250 a week, which is the equivalent of $38,000 a week in today's money. Oh, gee whiz. Damn. That's a lot. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mabel remained at Keystone. She was paid $175 a week or $5,300 in today's money. Jesus. Which, again, that's not bad. But it's not $38,000 a week. That ain't good. Undeterred, she continued to make comedies, pairing herself with Fatty Arbuckle in shorts like For the Love of Mabel, The Gypsy Queen, and In the Clutches of the Gang. (laughs) Now, I mentioned that Mabel and Max Sennett were a romantic couple, but they were also engaged several times. And in 1915, Mac began to have an affair with Mae Bush, which led to a confrontation with Mabel. Uh-oh. Okay. What happened? Nobody really knows for sure. It's alleged that Bush hit Mabel in the head with a vase, which caused a serious oh. injury. Oh, no. So whether that was the cause of this or something else, Mabel wound up spending several weeks in the hospital oh, in no. September of 1915 due to a serious injury of some kind. Jeez. That left her near death. Jeez. What kind of vase does she hit her with? An iron one? Again, it, whether or not that is right. related, again, that... Or know, something it's, else it's, might have happened. Yeah, It's just, it's, these two events happen very close Do together. we suspect the husband? No, no. Oh. It, it, it doesn't seem to be, because he was in love with her, but they just had a very tumultuous relationship. Gotcha, gotcha. And so it was during this hospital stay that many historians believe Mabel became addicted to either morphine or cocaine. Oh, well, they gave you both for like a toothache back in the day. Yes. So this split up Mabel and Mac and she departed Keystone for a very brief time. They did reconcile and formed the Mabel Norman film company, Mm, which as I said earlier, The first film company to feature a female's name. Sadly, it folded not long after the release of its first independent feature, Mickey, in 1917. Um, This is kind of when Mabel's health started to deteriorate. Um, After the studio folded, she had another falling out with Mac, and she left for Goldwyn Studios, where Mm -hmm. she earned $1,000 a week. Oh, Oh, hell yeah. Again, this was kind of the beginning of the end. At some point in the late 19-teens, she is believed to have contracted tuberculosis, Mm. which would negatively impact her performances over the rest of her career. Uh, Then her personal character took another hit when her good friend and frequent collaborator, Fatty Arbuckle, was put on trial for manslaughter for the 1921 death of aspiring actress Virginia Rapp. Although Arbuckle was eventually acquitted, the case reflected negatively on both him and his associates. Then February 1922, William Desmond Taylor was found murdered in his home from a gunshot wound to the back. Ooh. They were super, super close. Yeah. It is believed that Taylor was desperately in love with Mabel. 
and he was not thrilled with her cocaine addiction and she often went to him to help her overcome that addiction Hmm. his body was discovered with a locket containing a picture of mabel and she was the last person known to see him alive According that story to, is so crazy. It is. It is really crazy. According to Mabel, she visited him in her, at his home to collect some books he had for her. Because that was kind of a thing they did. They would exchange books. And she left at 745 that evening. And they were like blowing kisses and all, all was good. Um, and sometime after that, he was killed. She was brought in a long interrog- in, after a long interrogation. She was cleared. But again, her reputation took another public uh, a hit because now the public became aware that she was addicted to cocaine. Right. That was frowned upon. Like everyone in the 20s fucking wasn't addicted to fucking coke. Well, and the tabloids just butchered her. Like, you you know, yellow journalism, all this. Oh, yeah. And this was like the jazz age moral panic because that was like the Leopold and Loeb thing was like, oh, this is corrupting the youth. And yep second verse same as the first yep it was whispered throughout hollywood circles that mabel's drug suppliers had murdered taylor because he had offered to testify against them in court to help her get over her addiction which is the theory that i kind of lean into yeah whether that was the case or not his murder remains unsolved and if mabel knew anything about it she took it to her grave yeah. And she was despondent at his funeral. So I don't think Mabel killed him. She yeah. probably knew who did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was a major hit to her reputation. Uh yeah. They didn't like that she the public didn't like that she couldn't stay away from drugs. Her health was becoming more noticeable. If she stayed well rested, she would appear fine on camera mm-hmm. if she worked her party too partied too hard she would look sickly in 1923 to kind of help her out maxinic cast her in what is considered by critics to be her best performance the extra girl but all the scandals attached to her kind of led to it failing with the regular folks the new year's day 1924 her chauffeur, Joe Kelly, shot and wounded oil tycoon and amateur golfer Cortland Dines with Jesus. a gun that belonged to Mabel. Oh my God. Oh, so she, she, she was just escape. in with some rough and rowdy party fe- people. Well, I mean, I'm, you hate to say it. It's but... like Lindsay Lohan's crew in the mid aughts where you're just like, girl, honey, these people. Like, yes. this you is gotta, all bad. You got to surround yourself with good people because if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. And Absolutely. That's a true thing, but it's kind of a truth. It's a reason why it's a saying. Well, apparently Joe Kelly was an escaped felon, a convict. Christ. She, she didn't know, like, when she gave, hired him. Right. Okay, yeah. But, oh, you know, baby. So, so I couldn't find a whole lot on this, only that Mabel was at Dine's apartment. She was drinking with Dine's and his girlfriend actress edna pervians mabel apparently had forgotten a christmas present for dines and so she sent kelly to retrieve it and she told him just stay at the house i'll call you when it's time to come pick me up and you bring the gift then for some reason die or not dines but joe kelly didn't do this edna got up and was going to get ready for a party and instead of waiting for mabel's call kelly just showed up rang the doorbell dines got up to open it 
And when the door opened, he shot him in the shoulder. Jesus okay. Christ. He did confess. He's like, I did it. And he was doing it to protect Mabel. But nothing okay. else was ever really made public. And Dines declined to press charges against Kelly. Okay. So you, there's something going on. Yeah. Here. But yeah. This incident was also a field day for the press. And of it, was ta- it was like it was time for a break. She spent right. the next year or so traveling, staying out of the limelight, maybe doing some stage work here and there. And she returned to films in 1926, signing a contract for a series of shorts with Hal Roach. Um, and this was like she was still doing well in films. She was no longer a star, but, you know, she was she was making a living. Yeah. Then in September of 1926, on a drunken dare, she married Lou Cody an old friend who had starred with her and Mickey. Okay, Brittany. <laughs> exactly. They maintained appearances in public. She wrote in her diary that she deeply regretted it and that they never knocked boots. Yeah. They lived in separate houses. It was like, well, shit. <laughs> I mean, go get an annulment. Right? Well, I guess that would be frowned on too. And she was trying to... to yeah. behave Prepare her reputation in 1927 mabel was officially diagnosed with tuberculosis although mm-hmm. it is believed she had suffered with it for at least 10 years and her yeah. career was basically over she did continue to make public appearances and said quote if i am lucky i hope to i hope again to make the world laugh as i once did no she so was admitted to a sanitarium where she died at age 37 on February 23rd, 1930. A baby. I know. She was very, and she was so beautiful. Y'all, Aww. I had such a hard time picking out pictures. Um, Charlie Chaplin, D.W. Griffith, Louis B. Mayer, Samuel Goldwyn, and Douglas Fairbanks all served as pallbearers at her funeral. And this is what sucks. She was interred under the name Mabel Norman Cody. Oh, oh no. Like she, knew, she was married to this guy for a couple of years and it was an, a drunk dare. Yeah. And she didn't love this guy. And so she stuck with his name in the afterlife. She was interred at, in the main mausoleum at the Calvary Cemetery in Los Angeles. And the dates are incorrect on her crypts. What? And list her birth years, 1895. Oh, bless her, her mother, heart. Yes. Her mother passed away in 1932 and is interred in the crypt above her. She mm-hmm. also shares a block with fellow actor John Hodiak, a leading man from the early years of Hollywood. And uh, her husband, who, you know, made her be buried with his name. Ugh. That- heart disease in 1934 but he was buried in saint peter's catholic cemetery in maine so she could have had her name and this beautiful headstone and i get it you know there's a lot of people in california so maybe their burials have to be a little different because there's so many of them but he has this beautiful nice headstone and she's got just this little tiny plaque yeah and it doesn't say anything about her just like oh so you would walk right by and have no idea no idea contributed Yeah. Yeah. 30 years after her death, she was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So there's that. Um, Bernadette Peters starred as Mabel in a 1974 musical, Mac and Mabel, the fictionalized romance of Sinnott and Mabel. And Marissa Tomei played her in the 1992 Robert Downey Jr. movie, Chaplin. 
And most recently, she was played by Morgan, Morgan Picard in 2013's Return to Babylon, which was a black and white silent film about <laughs> the silent film era. Okay. <laughs> And so that is the sad short life of Mabel Normans, the OG comedian of the silver screen, Ugh. who, if it wasn't for this bitch, and I say that lovingly. Like Absolutely. Yeah. Charlie, like, the yeah. tramp, Charlie Chaplin would not be here. And she needs credit. Absolutely. Yeah, if, if you're not, like, a studier or a historian of silent films you have no idea who she is you know charlie right. chaplin because everybody and their mama knows who, right you know that yeah. character and the fact that you have to actually investigate to know where yeah. that character originated and that it was yeah, right. taken from a lot of her early work just fucking sucks yeah it does. yeah you know i say or you say everyone knows charlie chaplin i hope they do yeah. um it, i'm getting more and more concerned when i mention older hollywood stars or old musicians and it's not always just young generations it's it's like our generation or even right like who like i give a shout out to yul brenner on my ghost tour for a reason if you want to know why yul brenner is brought up on a memphis ghost tour take my tour um and i get so many looks of who yeah yeah, who and i'm like he's a hottie come on now for real i have a crush on him anyway maybe maybe that's weird anyway yay good job lou who she was awesome that was so cool and very beautiful you'll see in the pictures she was just gorgeous gorgeous girl well my story um is gonna be similar to some of that um we're gonna mention some of the same people actually um but before i get into my person i did want to say just very briefly i just want to give her a shout out i considered covering vivian vance who starred as ethel on i love lucy okay but i didn't because i'm like i don't think people think of her as like a comedian necessarily she was funny as hell but she was so funny and i mean to keep up with lucille ball like that oh, takes yeah. so much talent and i think sometimes she doesn't get the credit she should and i get that lucy is so funny and there's so much stuff that lucy does that's just lucy. ethel's like, a perfect foil but yeah ethel is right alongside her with so many of the funniest moments like you know the chocolate scene yes. where they're working in the, there's so many things that she does one of my favorite moments me and spencer quote it constantly is in the episode of the operetta where she's singing this song and then all of a sudden she like tramps it up and and gets real kind of dirty with it and it's the delivery is perfect and i'm like i just so i started to do her because i think she is absolutely hilarious and i don't think she gets the credit that is due her sometimes but i did not go with her i went with someone else because i wanted to cover someone who was a woman because i don't i hate that we're in 2023 and we still get women are funny yeah discourse that's, like that's exactly why i picked uh Ethel. yeah Yeah, I was like, I I get so tired of that. So I wanted to pick someone who was a trailblazer and who was a woman. And turns out my woman, um, just to give you a a spoiler alert, she was the first successful female stand-up comedian. She had a career that spanned over 50 years. First female comic to play the Apollo in 1930. And first female comedian to headline Carnegie Hall in 1962. Damn. So picture it picturing it 1899 or 1897 or 1894 
Um, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what source you believe. Now, on her tombstone, it does say 1899. So I'm going to go with 1899. But if you look at any other source, it'll give you a completely different year. Yeah. March, it's almost like in the 1890s, things weren't written down super well. They weren't. And they really <laughs> weren't if you were black. And my lady is black. Yeah. Uh, March 19th, 1899. Loretta, oh, almost my yeah, birthday. Almost your birthday. This makes her a Pisces. Yes. Loretta Mary Aiken was born in Brevard, North Carolina. And I know you may be saying I have no idea who Loretta Mary Aiken is, but we're going to get to her stage name, which you may or may not know. To be completely honest, I'd never heard of this woman when I started this. Now that I know who she is, I'm boned that i've never heard of this woman but now awesome. that i know about her and i'm telling you about her now you can go look her up and enjoy her comedy so um anyway yes loretta mary aiken loretta's parents were james and mary smith uh or well james aiken and mary smith um her dad was a successful businessman her mother was a housekeeper she took in borders they had 16 kids total oh, jesus christ, christ. mary 16. smith girl i know i'm like Kudos to you for putting up with that 16 times. Um, but of course, growing up in the South and the Jim Crow South is difficult. And Loretta's childhood was difficult. Um, spoiler alert, trigger warning. We're going to talk about rape for a quick second. Um, unfortunately, this beautiful little girl was raped twice as a child. Uh, by the time she was 13, she had already given birth twice. <gasps> and both of these pregnancies had resulted from rapes. She was oh. raped at age 11 by an elderly black man. And then she was raped by a white sheriff oh. when she was 13. Oh, baby. I, that broke my heart. Um, both babies were placed for adoption. So she did not raise them. She gave them up for adoption. Mm. Um, but at a, a little bit after she gave birth that second time, her grandmother was like, you know what? You've got to get out of here like this. Right. Things are not going great. You just you and she loved to perform and act and sing and all this. And she's like, you know what? Go take off. Just go live your best life. So she did. Loretta yeah. ran away at the age of 14. Jesus. To Cleveland, Ohio, to join a vaudeville style minstrel show. Ooh. Now, this minstrel show starred Butterbeans and Susie who were a popular African-American comedy duo. We should probably cover them at some point. Right. Because this is so classic. I love it. I, I need to look up this song. They were a song and dance team noted for risque comedy songs like, I want a hot dog for my role. <laughs> <laughs> love that for Don't them. Don't we all, ma'am? Don't we all? Well, not all of us. There, no, there are some, some people. There are some people who do not want hot dogs, but... Um, Anyway, okay, um, <laughs> that was in 1927. Uh, so Loretta was talented. She could sing, dance. She was funny. She told jokes. Butterbeans and Susie noticed this, and they really wanted to nurture her and encourage her to uh, be successful in the entertainment industry. So they were helping her out as they could. Um, a year after she left, her dad died. He was actually a volunteer firefighter. And he went out to help with this fire, but the fire engine exploded and killed him. Christ. And then like the next year or a few years later, her mother was killed. She was run over by a truck while returning home from church on Christmas day. Jesus. Oh I'm like, how many terrible things can happen to you while you are a teenager and younger? Like, geez Louise. And like the most old timey ways to die. I know. Yeah. 
very old timey wasted eye. So anyway, Loretta, meanwhile, is doing wonderful on um, doing all these performances. Um, she adopts the stage name Jackie Mabley, and that's how a lot of people might know her today. Rings but we're going to get to her. We're going to get to her more famous character and name in a bit um one of her first boyfriends was named jack mabley who was also a performer and she later said that he took so much from her the least she could do was take his name good for you <laughs> good for you so she was jackie mabley uh she quickly became one of the most successful entertainers on the chitlin circuit which if you don't know what that is yeah. please do some research it's really cool it's ba basically like the black vaudeville circuit where black performers would could safely perform for black audiences yeah um, throughout america but especially throughout the south and the east and upper midwest anyway um of course america was very segregated at this time so this is why the the chitlin circuit was a, a big deal and while she was out doing all these different shows she was of course sharing the stage with other amazing black artists like louis armstrong and duke ellington mm -hmm. like you know she was hanging out with everybody amazing and she was as i said very successful but because she was black and a woman she was not making a lot of money which is bs um, but what I love about her is that in 1921, at the age of 27, she came out as a lesbian, as <gasps> Blanche Devereaux yeah. says. Good for her. Yeah. And she was one of the first openly gay comedians, which I can't imagine that had to have been scary, but she, she did it. She dressed in her. androgynous styles and she recorded several this is a quote, lesbian stand-up routine. <laughs> okay. I love it. Which I'm like, I want to hear this lesbian stand-up routine. That sounds Right? Somebody um, has it somewhere. It's on YouTube. I bet we can. Oh, there's got to be. There's a <laughs> bunch of her stuff on YouTube. Um, in 1939, she became the first female comic to perform at the famed Apollo Theater in Harlem. Again, if you don't know what the Apollo Theater is, please, God, get cultured, you uncultured yes. swine. <laughs> um, but I love the Apollo Theater. It is historic. It's basic it shaped black entertainment in america absolutely black art um jazz swing r&b comedy soul all were very supported by that theater and gained fame there and like anybody who's anybody played the apollo and that to me is still like a very like yeah important stage like i don't know i, I would love to go there it's one of my like bucket list things to go see a show at the apollo so in the late 40s and into the 50s, she created a stage name character named Moms Mabley. And this is how mm -hmm. you might know her. Uh, Moms Mabley was an older, toothless woman in a house dress and a floppy hat. Um, she walked absolutely so Medea could run. <laughs> they, yeah. Um, some like characters that you see in like black comedy now are 100% based on moms. Um some claim she that they called her moms because she was like a mother to other performers but she based the name and the character on her grandmother who had encouraged her to pursue Aww. her dreams so i thought that was sweet and yeah. because she was this kind of granny character she was playing much older than she actually was she was basically non-threatening she right. could tackle subjects that were considered edgy for the yeah. time like racism and That's sexuality still the case man it's still the case and having children <laughs> after becoming a widow and she could be a little raunchy because everyone loves a raunchy old lady so she always joked about having crushes on young men rather than washed up geezers and that <laughs> became a signature bit 
um a couple of her jokes she said on various tv specials or not specials but like variety shows and you can find these on youtube she says you know mama don't like old men anytime you see me with my arms wrapped around an old man i'm holding him for the police (laughs) (laughs) and one time she said she married an old man who was um as old as air and twice as polluted which i've got to steal and then she said i want that that on my tombstone She said she married a guy so ugly he'd stand outside the doctor's office and make people sick. Um, (laughs) Oh, this was really funny, too. In another bit, she said she ran into an old acquaintance on the street and said, how old is your oldest kid now? And she said, 15. And he said, well, hasn't your husband been dead for 20 years? And she said, he's dead. I ain't. (laughs) (laughs) And then this, okay, these are some race jokes that I was, I died when I heard these. She said, I was riding alone in my Cadillac, you know, going through one of them little towns in South Carolina, passed through a red light. One of them big cops comes running over to me saying, hey, woman, don't you know you went through a red light? I say, yeah, I know I went through a red light. And he said, well, what'd you do that for? And she said, because I seen all you white folks going on the green light, I thought the red light was for us. Which is classic. Oh, I love it. I just watched this this morning on an episode of Merv Griffin, and I thought Merv Griffin was going to die right there on the screen when she said it. He talked to her about going down south, and she's like, yeah, I go down south. When I go down south, they call me uh, Roy Rogers horse. And he goes, Trigger? And she goes, yeah, they call me Trigger. They're like, hey, Trigger, hey, Trigger. Or at least that's what I think they're saying. Merv Griffin like like I said he almost liked it and I did I I was like oh my god what did she just say and you could tell Merv Griffin was like should I laugh like, I what was is thinking happening? something sexual <laughs> when you said when she goes down south no <laughs> I was like whoa, whoa, whoa. no I mean she made jokes so. like that though that um, was like I went and saw Django Unchained in the theater with another uh palm colored friends to borrow a tiktok phrase and there was a couple of times where i'm like do we do we laugh at this part or do we just let it run (laughs) that reminds me speaking of going to see things quick diversion i me and friend of the podcast chrissy oh yeah craig ferguson friday night and he was hilarious because of course he is he's Craig. i love him so much i do too he came out to pump up the jam but he was playing it was very very loud and then he was playing the bagpipes and and it was just perfect like so much I love him so much he was so funny and he made some COVID jokes which I'm very sensitive about because clearly my history with it um you know I just don't think people dying of it is funny because my dad died of it but he he made it funny and it was not disrespectful and I was like you know what dude you're doing this right anyway back to mom's So when she was not moms, when she was Jackie or Loretta or whatever name you want to call her, she was gorgeous and she dressed glamorously. She usually dressed um, androgynously, but I've got some um, portraits of her where she's not dressed up as moms. She's as herself and she's just stunning. So like when you see her on TV, like I said, she doesn't have her teeth in and she (laughs) no makeup on and she's got these crazy house dresses that do not match anything else she has on, but when she was just being herself, she was absolutely stunning. 
So anyway, Moms Mabley was a hit and her fame continued to grow throughout the 60s and 70s. Chess Records released her first comedy record called The Funniest Woman in the World in 1960. She ended up releasing more than 20 comedy records. Nice. And a lot of people, when they introduced her on TV appearances, they called her the funniest woman in the world. So she became a huge hit with white audiences. And then in 62, she played Carnegie Hall. So like I said, the first woman to head awesome. Carnegie. Um, she also made regular TV appearances on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour and Ed Sullivan Show and, and all that kind of good stuff and Merv Griffin. She did introduce music into her act and she ended up covering Abraham, Martin, and John in 1969, which was a big hit originally for Dion, but then she covered it and Smokey Robinson and the Miracles covered it too. And all of these songs kind of came out at the same time, but mom's version hit number 35 and it wasn't meant to be funny because that song is not funny. That song, obviously Abraham, Martin, and John, and it also then talks about Bobby too, Bobby Kennedy for the children right um <laughs> it's a very serious song and her song right. her version was not funny it was a serious cover um, right but her version hit number 35 on the billboard hot 100 she was like in her 70s at the time so this oh wow her the oldest living person to have a u.s top 40 hit damn so around the same time she performed at the harlem cultural festival aka black woodstock if you want to know more about black woodstock or the harlem cultural festival however you want to call it watch the excellent 2021 documentary summer of soul about it it's directed by oh my god his name just went out of my head Questlove. Questlove, oh. directed by Questlove. it he won an oscar for it it is a fabulous documentary it is so good you see so many incredible artists from that time in their prime and they are stunning it's one of those like cultural events you wish you could have been at because it's amazing in 1974 she starred in the movie amazing grace um it was a black exploitation film and it was her only like starring role in a movie she did star she was in other movies but not in starring roles more as like she's in a movie right um but she did suffer a heart attack during the filming of amazing grace and she had to take a break she got a pacemaker and then she went back and finished filming the movie which i think is pretty cool love it but the next year on may 23rd 1975 mom's mabley aka jackie mabley born loretta mary aiken died of heart failure in Aww. white plains Aww. new york she was 76 if that 1899 birth date is to be believed right at her funeral, comedian and civil rights activist Dick Gregory said, had she been white, she'd have been known 50 years ago. No, that's true. That's very true. She is buried at Ferncliff Cemetery and Mausoleum in Hartsdale, New York. Her stone reads Jackie Moms Mabley and has her dates. And her daughter, Bonnie, Bonnie, oh. um, is buried alongside her. And Aww. so they have both of their information on that same stone. During her life, uh, moms had six kids. She had Bonnie, Christine, Charles, and Yvonne. And then the two kids she placed up for adoption. Mm. Um, I did read one thing that said, really, and I hate this speculation crap, that technically she would be known as bisexual today because she did have some relationship with ships with men. Right. But I'm like, you know what? Maybe she did because she did have these four other kids. Right. But she identified herself as a lesbian. So I don't right. want to, I don't, I'm not going to say what she was or what she wasn't because it's not my place to do. Right. 
Um, but going back to that cemetery where she's buried, dude, we've got to go. This cemetery is rad because listen at just a few of the people who were buried alongside her. Okay. So Ferncliff Cemetery was founded in 1902, and this is in New York. So you have amazing New York people buried there. You have Aaliyah. Oh, freaking Aaliyah. Wow. James Baldwin, who just had a birthday. Happy birthday, yes. James Baldwin. Cab Calloway, Joan Crawford. Malcolm X, Ruby D, Robert Downey Sr., Jam oh. Master J, Heavy D, oh. Thelonious Monk, Ed Sullivan, Judy Tyler. She starred in Jailhouse Rock with Elvis and died in a car accident like two or three days after filming. So Damn. she was like a baby. She was like 25, maybe. Ugh. Beautiful woman. If you've seen Jailhouse Rock, you know how gorgeous she is. And then Thomas Carvel of Carvel Ice Cream. Oh, shit. Like you've got everybody amazing. Where is this everybody. again? New York. Oh, wow. Heart, Hartsville, Heart something. Hartsdale, New York. And that was the okay. original burial place, too, of Judy Garland before they moved her out to Hollywood. Um, Damn. So, yeah, it's like a cool place. I was like, I've got to get here because I didn't even list everybody amazing. That's just the people that, like, I recognize their name immediately. But, like, for some reason, I've never considered where Joan Crawford was buried. And I'm like, I right. have to go see where Joan Crawford was Was she buried. from New York? Yes. Okay. I, I, I love her, but I'm team Betty forever, even though I do think a lot of that feud was made up, but either oh, way, yeah. I love I, it. I love Joan Crawford, even though she's a messy, messy woman. Anyway, we love a messy bitch. Man, yes. don't we though? I recently watched mommy dearest for the first time and it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I watched it at 13. It's it was not fun. Epic. It's not a fun movie. And I don't think any of it is. I think maybe some of it's true. I don't think it's as bad as they make it out to be. But that yeah. final scene where she tells those uh, guys not to mess with her. This is her not mm -hmm. her first time with the radio is iconic. Anyway, yes. anyway, back to moms. Mom's legacy is still growing strong. She inspired so many comedians, especially black women. Um, Whoopi Goldberg actually got her start in a one woman show called Moms, where she performed as Moms Mabley in the early 80s. And then she made a documentary about moms in 2013. I cannot find it online. I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I have the DVD of this documentary. It's great. I can't find it anywhere. I was very sad. Yeah. I mm -hmm. did see the opening scene and Whoopi talks about how much she loved moms. And then she talks to all of these other comedians about how she influenced them, black, white, male, female. And I'm like, yeah, oh, I, oh, I'd love to see the whole thing. Anyway, if you watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which I have not, but I hear it's great. Uh, we are going to reference Marvelous Mrs. Maisel again. <laughs> there we go. Of course we are. Wanda Sykes per, uh, portrayed Mom's Maisley in the okay. season three finale of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So yeah. I, I love Wanda Sykes. I think she is so she funny. Is, oh, I love her so much. So funny. If you have not seen the other two on HBO Max, it's not HBO Max. Either way, it's Max. a sitcom. Whatever and it's it is now. so funny. Wanda Sykes is on that show and she is classic i love anyway. Wanda sykes she's hysterical she's great anyway moms throughout her career performed on many many stage shows she had roles in several films as i said she was on variety shows like smothers brothers ed sullivan merv griffin and released over 20 comedy albums so you can find her stuff out there whether it's comedy records on streaming services or appearances on youtube go look her up you will not be disappointed and i'm going to leave you with a quote because of course i am she said the only thing an old man can do for me is tell me where to find a young one 
Words to <laughs> love live by. I love it. Words to live by. Thank you for everything, moms. You are still making us laugh. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. All right, Lou Who. Not Lou Who. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm already it's already gone, man. It's right. Hey, I've not okay. had any caffeine today. <laughs> so and I have not had my Ritalin either. <laughs> so I'm breaking the mold a little. Um, my performer is a dude, but you know, that's okay. okay. We like dude performers. We do. So nestled in Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles is a, a memorial stone with an epitaph that sums up its occupant better than most. Rodney Dangerfield's stone reads, there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Rodney, who was born Jacob Rodney Cohen, later took the name Jack Roy, was born to a vaudeville performer and a cold, distant mother on November 22nd, <laughs> 1921 in Deer Park, New York. He is a Sagittarius. Okay, His that breaks my heart. How can you be cold and distant but married to a vaudeville performer? It's It's... Opposite. She was born in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so I'm just oh. going to attribute this to being Hungarian. Yes. <laughs> no offense to the Hungarian right. audience. Tonight. But you are a <laughs> stiff, stiff bunch. Yeah. <laughs> His father, Philip Cohen, who went by the stage name Phil Roy, so that's why he went by Jack Roy later, was mm. almost never home during Rodney's childhood, and his mom wasn't the most affectionate. Again, she was Hungarian. Like, cut her some slack. Um, like many youngsters of his generation, Rodney delivered newspapers and groceries to bring home extra cash for the household. And unfortunately, like many a comedian and artist after him, he was also sexually abused by a neighbor. Uh, can so, people stop touching children? Yeah, just leave the children alone. On, just knock no. it off. Phil would later bail on the family and Rodney would spend his high school years in Kew Gardens, Queens. Uh, at 15, he get he started writing for performers at the Neville Resort in the Borsch Belt. For those okay. of you not familiar with the Borsch Belt, uh, it is also known as the Jewish Alps. Um, it was a popular resort destination in the Catskill Mountains from the 20s through the 70s. Uh, it was a safe haven for Jewish New Yorkers who were banned from most of the city's nice hotels. Um, and if you've ever mainlined the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, like me, <laughs> you are deeply <laughs> familiar with the Borscht Belt. Um, and Borscht also... is like a beet soup. Yes. And I was going to say, can we also stop being mean to Jewish people? Yes. Mm -hmm. Can we not? Can like, we fucking not? I'm, like... I'm tired of, of people abusing children and being mean to, to Jewish folks. Right. Could we, Jeez like, Louise. God love them. They've been dealing with this for, you know several Far thousand years at this point but still we we can knock it off yeah we can um so at 19 he legally changed his name to jack roy and struggled to make ends meet as a performer including a stint as a singing waiter oh he later quipped that he was so little known that when he gave up show business i was the only one who knew i quit <laughs> oh, bless his heart. rodney would sell aluminum siding to keep food on the table at home in the early 1960s, however, he decided to give it another go. Still working as a salesman by day, he returned to the stage performing at hotels and the Catskills, but still finding minimal success. He fell into debt, about $20,000 by his own estimate, which sounds quaint in this day and age. Yeah. And couldn't get booked. He later joked, I played one club. It was so far out, my act was reviewed in Field and Stream. Oh. Rodney realized he needed... <laughs> an image something that yes. made him stand out from a crowd of 
a crowded field of Jewish comics with self-deprecating humor. So that's when you see, you know, that old showbiz line of you got to have a thing. You got to have yeah. a, it's, you know, it starts a with him or something. Um, after being shunned by some premier comedy venues, he returned home where he began developing a character for whom nothing goes right. <laughs> he took the name Rod- Rodney Dangerfield from a cowboy character portrayed by Jack Benny on his radio program in 1941. Jack Benny. Classic. Oh, yes. We're getting all the classics in here. Yes. The Benny character, who also received little to no respect from the outside world, served as an inspiration to Dangerfield while he was developing his character. In March of 1967, Rodney's big break came when the Ed Sullivan Show, <laughs> well, you know where he's buried, Yeah, <laughs> needed a last-minute replacement, and he became the surprise hit of the show. Uh, Rodney began headlining shows in Vegas and continued making frequent appearances on the Ed Sullivan Show. He became a regular on the Dean Martin Show and appeared on The Tonight Show more than 70 times. Jeez, really? That's cool. Oh, yeah. In 1969, he teamed up with longtime friend Anthony Bevacqua. Bevacqua? I'm not pronouncing that right. To build the Dangerfields Comedy Club in New York City, where he would perform on a regular basis without having to travel. Hmm. The club remained in continuous operation until October of 2020. Jeez. Dangerfields was the venue for several HBO comedy specials, including Jerry Seinfeld, Jeff Foxworthy, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks, Rita Rudner, Andrew Dice Clay, Louis Anderson, and Bob Saget. All right. So okay. he gave these people their uh, their starts in a lot of ways. Yeah. And because the 1980s were a lawless wonderland, <laughs> yeah. his 1980 comedy album, No Respect, won a Grammy Award. Yeah, it did. One of his TV feature TV specials featured a musical number, Rappin' Rodney, which appeared oh, on God. his 1983 follow-up album, also called Rappin' Rodney. <laughs> In December of 1983, the single became one of the first Hot 100 rap records, no. and the associated video was an early MTV hit. <laughs> yep. The 80s. Yeah. I still remember the song very, very well. (laughs) He launched his acting career in the 70s with a movie called The Projectionist, but found true success in 1980 with the absolute classic Caddyshack. Yep. His, if you have not seen Caddyshack, stop everything, pause the podcast. It's streaming (laughs) somewhere. It is. Go watch Caddyshack. It is hysterical. It is so funny. I like I will quote from it to this day. It is just so good. His role was initially smaller, but because he and fellow cast members Chevy Chase and Bill Murray proved adept at improvisation, their roles were greatly expanded during the filming, much to the chagrin of their castmates. Could you imagine those three? I mean, at, no. the, at some point, no. you just have to, like, let him do it. Just let him yeah. go. Yeah. His appearance in Caddyshack led to starring roles in Easy Money and Back to School, which he also served as co-writer. But unlike his stand-up persona, his comedy film characters were portrayed as successful and competent and generally popular, despite being loud, brash, and detested by the wealthy elites, which I love. (laughs) In a change of pace, however, he was an abusive father in Natural Born Killers, which is really one of the most disturbing ones I've seen. I've Um, never seen that. Okay, so 
side plot about natural born killers is when it <laughs> first came out, my mom did not want me to see it because obviously it was yeah. it was something. So in college, I finally watched it and I was like, oh, oh, no, this is this is just bad. Yeah, I mean, that's the like the movie is about. good. Like the movie is good. But it, it it does feel like brutality for brutality's sake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was I just be like, for that. <laughs> I was just like, okay, well, I watched it the once and I never have to watch it again. Yeah. So it's I how I feel about it, but... Full Metal Jacket. I love Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket was great. I never want to see it again. <laughs> Dangerfield also appeared in an episode of The Simpsons yep. titled Burns Baby Burns, in which he played a character who was basically a persona a parody of his own persona uh mr burns long lost son larry burns also includes <laughs> the line when they're trying to get him into like one of the ivies and they're like we need a really big bribe for this one so like we could really use an international airport mr burns goes i'm not made of airports <laughs> he was also uh on an episode of home improvement so we are hitting all the 90s uh yeah we are um Dangerfield was rejected for membership in the Motion Picture Academy in 1995 by the head of the actor section, Roddy McDowell. After fan protest, the Academy reconsidered, but he refused to accept membership. I don't blame him. (laughs) I was like, exactly for you. Yeah. In March of 1995, Dangerfield was the first celebrity and i did not know this about him until i started researching and this is so fucking cool he was the first celebrity to personally own a website and create content for it really in 1995 good for him he interacted with fans who visited his site via an email me link often surprising people with a reply (laughs) by 1996 Dangerfield's website proved to be such a hit that it made website magazines list of a hundred most influential people on the web. And do you want to know how website is spelled in the name of this magazine title? Oh my God. Tell me. W E B S I G H T. No, (laughs) no. Remember when we used to have magazines about web things? Remember when we had (laughs) magazines? I know. God bless. Um, He was recognized by the Smithsonian Institution, which put one of his trademark white shirts and red ties on display. When he handed it to the curator, he joked, I have a feeling you're going to use this to clean Lindbergh's plane. (laughs) (laughs) He also played an important role in the rise of Jim Carrey. In the 1980s, after watching Jim Carrey perform at the Comedy Store in L.A., Rodney signed him to open for his Las Vegas show. The two toured together for more than two years. Hmm. When Dangerfield celebrated his 80th birthday on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Carrey made a surprise appearance to thank him for years of support. He resented, however, being confused with his onstage persona. Um, and according to his wife, he was very classy, gentlemanly, and intelligent. He just played a buffoon. It's sort of like how Larry the Cable Guy is actually like an earthy, crunchy vegan dude. And now he's yeah. just like stuck in this persona. Yeah. Be careful who you pretend to be. Yeah. Um, he said he was often treated like a loser he played. And he talked about this in his 24. 20- 2004 autobiography it's not easy being me a lifetime of no respect but plenty of sex and drugs (laughs) in this work he also discussed being a marijuana smoker and the book's original title was my love affair with marijuana (laughs) 
Although Jewish, he referred to himself as an atheist during an interview with Howard Stern, of all people, about four months before his death. He added that during the interview that he was a logical atheist, saying, we're gorillas. Does a gorilla come back? Point. Mm-hmm. In the same interview, he lamented that he suffered greatly for being a perfectionist. He also said, my mother never hugged, kissed me, nothing, okay? Other kids would go to sleep listening to a fairy tale. I went to sleep with a fight downstairs listening to a guy yelling, enough, enough. Jeez. Hungarian women. I know. On November 22nd, 2001, his 80th birthday, he suffered a mild heart attack while doing a stand-up routine on The Tonight Show. Dang. During the performance, yeah, during the performance, Jay Leno noticed something was off and asked his producer to call the paramedics. During his hospital stay, the staff were reportedly upset that he smoked marijuana in his room. (laughs) What else do you expect? I mean, he returned to the night tonight show a year later, performing on his 81st birthday, which good for him. Yep. Rodney had heart surgery on August 24th, 2004. Upon entering the University of California, Los Angeles Medical Center, he uttered another characteristic one liner when asked about how long he would be hospitalized. He said, if all goes well, about a week, if not about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> He would never, unfortunately, wake up from the anesthesia. He would be in a coma for six weeks when he would die on October 5th, 2004, at the age of 82. Oh, man. On the day of his death, the randomly selected joke of the day website happened to be, but I tell you, I get no respect from anyone. I bought a cemetery plot. The guy said, there goes the neighborhood. This led his wife, Joan, to choose There Goes the Neighborhood as the epitaph on his headstone. Oh, that's so appropriate. But isn't that crazy that that's the thing that comes up on the it's so funny joke of the day in memoriam Saturday Night Live ran a short sketch of Dangerfield played by Daryl Hammond at the gates of heaven. (laughs) St. Peter mentions that he heard Dangerfield got no respect in life, which prompts him to spew an entire string of his famous one-liners. After he's done, he asks why St. Peter was so interested. St. Peter replies, I just wanted to hear those jokes one more time and waves him into heaven, prompting Rodney to joyfully declare, finally, a little respect. (laughs) So we are going to end with some of his one-liners. Yes. These are so good, you guys. Okay. My fan club broke up. The guy died. (laughs) Last week, my house was on fire. My wife told the kids, be quiet. You wake daddy. (laughs) I was ugly. Very ugly. When I was born, the doctor smacked my mother. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the fights last night and a hockey game broke out. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's yeah. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, my parents moved a lot, but I always found them. Oh, my God. I could tell my parents hated me. My bath toys were a toaster and a radio. God. (laughs) What a childhood I had. My parents sent me to a child psychiatrist. That kid didn't help me at all. (laughs) I told my doctor every day I wake up, I look in the mirror. I want to throw up. What's wrong with me? He said, I don't know, but your eyesight's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) My doctor is a very strange man. I said to him, Doc, what's the difference between an oral thermometer and a rectal thermometer? He told me the taste. (laughs) And finally, life's a short trip. You'll find out. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Love it, love it, love it. 
So that's Rodney Dangerfield. Go watch Caddyshack right now. Yeah. I think I might watch Caddyshack later today. Go do it. It'll be awesome. It will Um, be. I just watched The Jerk for the first time. (gasps) I love The Jerk. My mother loved The Jerk. I bought it for her on DVD and I said, you know, I was like, oh, we'll watch it one day. Well, then she passed away. Right. But it's so so good. I watched it and I'm like, now I know why my mother loves it. I mean, it's one of those. Is movies. the Thermos song stuck in your head? Oh my God. Yes, it is. <laughs> it was, I was so, like, I love Steve it's Martin. So, so good. Much. It is so, I love it's the so jerk. Good. And there were, there were several moments of, I would love to quote this, but I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. can't for reasons, kind of like the trigger joke from earlier. Right. Exactly. Um, but oh my God, they're so good, especially the so scene funny. where they're like, they keep giving them old French wine at the restaurant. Yeah. He's like, why are you bringing us this old stuff? Let's get some newer stuff. New stuff in it's here. Yeah. so good. And when he's leaving, he's like, all I need is this. And he keeps yes! taking things yes! from the house. Yes. That whole sequence was perfect. And it any movie hilarious. that opens with Steve Martin goes, I was raised a poor black child. I know. <laughs> everything with his family i was just like i'm i'm dying oh my god yeah so that was that was a recent watch that i i quite enjoyed that i i need to go revisit because it was fun Um, it was great but yeah so yeah and we're gonna have to find uh the rapping rodney we'll see if Derek will include a a sample (laughs) yeah yeah we should all find good moment well i don't know if your lady Lori has anything. I know. I know. Maybe she does. I don't know. Um, it was all silent. It was. But yeah. We could have um, that silent movie soundtrack. Yeah, in the back. yeah. Yeah. We'll have to find some clips and post them for y'all. Absolutely. Um, next week, we are, I think all of us, going back to our roots with some yes. country music. We Absolutely. are going to cover country music artists, which I cannot wait to figure out who I'm going to cover. I know. I'm excited. I I'm love... going to do a deep dive. I love me some good old country music and me and Chrissy were just talking about that the other day, actually, about how much we loved some old school country. Well, and I've been loving kind of the discourse about country music, especially since like Tyler Childers album came out or not album, but video Jason Aldean bullshit with his dumb trash can. Exactly. that Tyler Childers song, like the song is beautiful by itself. The video is beautiful by itself. Like all of it together. I'm like, thanks for making me ball my eyes out. I'm like, well, and I day. have like had like, oh. haven't really been listening to a lot of, you know, modern country just because it's just, I haven't not enjoyed it since the nineties. But when we were in Oxford, it was, was it Sturgill Simpson that was covering yeah. in bloom? And I was like, okay, what's yeah. this? Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I really like Sturgill Simpson. I know I'm like 10 years late to this, but. No, I'm, I'm 10 years late on that train as well. But I, he was, um, he's starring in this current season of Righteous Gemstones. Okay. So that was another cool. thing I have to check out because you guys God, keep telling me about it. It is the funniest thing I've ever it seen. It is so life. funny. Okay. Um, and who's the little fella that always has his face covered? Orville Peck. Okay. My That's another one I've been meaning I to check love out. Orville Peck. Um, 
so if, yeah if you want to listen to country music that is not b- made by fascists please check out sort <laughs> stir, stir that needs to be Simpson. a uh, spotify playlist i know jason isbell oh you know what i'll t- uh, i will promote this very briefly and then we'll be yes. done there is a show on pbs i think it's called southern storytellers if I'm not mistaken, if it's not that, it's something really similar to it. I'm terrible with titles, but they, it's three episodes for this season and they've referenced a next season. So I hope there will be one, but every episode is about storytellers out of the South. So it's writers, it's songwriters, it's, you know, all these different people yeah. who live in this. And I mean, from wildly different perspectives, but it's so well done. Um, Jason Isbell and his wife, Amanda are on the second episode. One of my favorite artists, Adia, um, Victoria is on the first episode. Um, I, it is, it is so good. It's so well done and it makes you, it almost made me homesick for the South. And I'm like, I live here, right? you know, like it's just the ideal South, not the, not the, yeah, it's grody one we sometimes find ourselves in. Yeah. It it's Southern storytellers. That's exactly what it is. Let me, me, yeah. The third episode's out. I've got to watch it. Um, but yeah, I, trying to find okay yeah because they talked to natasha trethaway in the third episode and she is one of my favorite writers awesome um, just so many cool people who are do oh and they talked to this fascinating chef about you know what it means to cook southern it's just so it's on pbs if you're not already giving to your um state yes yes do it do that. your do local that. broadcaster that's also how you get um endless episodes of my favorite show um antiques world show Show. i forgot about it for a second oh apparently they also talked to jasmine ward i love her too well i'm gonna have to oh and they do talk to angie thomas see so many good people love it support pbs people that i forgot yeah anyway go oh billy bob thornton's on one if you're into billy bob thornton and mary yeah but it's it's his section was not that bad but either way it's wonderful but back to comedians and country music we're gonna have fun next week so we hope you join we us absolutely are Luhu, where can they find us online we are on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or you can email us at cemetery row pod at gmail.com please do i will yes. always love how Lori says all that. <laughs> that's why we have her do it yeah um so yeah so please send us in reviews that are nice on the review places where you can do that it sure would be nice to have a fresh one um and also um tell your friends about us yes promote us if you if you don't mind and say hey i listen to this great podcast it's fun those ladies are fun absolutely yeah yeah so all that good stuff go visit your local cemetery and enjoy the sights to be seen there but leave it as you found it Yep. No littering. Okay. Bye.